Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, one and all. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. This radio show is live every Tuesday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And we have a great show lined up for you here tonight. We are taking a break from our regularly scheduled teaching classes, I guess you could say. That's pretty much what I've been doing here on the show for many, many weeks, teaching different occult traditions, um, going through different methodologies of mind control, helping people to understand what the occult is and what it is not. And basically, we have been over the last many weeks looking into, had been looking into the tradition of Freemasonry, but we are going to be taking a break from that over uh, uh, for this evening at least, because I have a very special guest that I'm going to be bringing on the show with me in a little bit. Uh, it is Suzanne Taylor. Suzanne Taylor is a researcher of the crop circle phenomenon and a filmmaker, and she was a recent speaker at the Free Your Mind conference right here in Philadelphia a couple of, uh, not even a couple of weeks ago, the weekend before last, as a matter of fact. So, Suzanne Taylor coming up on the show in a few moments. It should be quite interesting. Before we get to Suzanne, I want to uh, read an event announcement, and then I'm going to give the call-in numbers. Uh, We will not be joining Oracle Broadcasting in the second hour tonight, as we usually do. I'll be doing that again next week, trying to get something um, lined up whereby... um, you know, I don't want to make any promises to this. It's, it's in the works, but we're trying to get something lined up where maybe I get a full two hours on Oracle. Uh, again, that's not official, so don't hold me to that, but we're in, in some, some talks. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to make an official announcement on that soon. Um, but for tonight, uh, all two hours will be right here on TalkShoe and on whatonearthishappening.com. And uh, they will be, these two hours uh, of interview with Suzanne Taylor will be uh, not interrupted with commercials. So that should be a good thing. And uh, we'll hopefully be able to take some calls from the listening audience. So I have one event announcement. 
FedStock 2 is coming up on April 23rd. This is the official end the Fed rally for the city of Philadelphia. It is happening this uh, coming Saturday, April 23rd at noon, 12 o'clock p.m. to 3 p.m. is the official times, although it will go later than that. The location is the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia at 100 North 6th Street. That's the corner of 6th and Arch in Philadelphia, PA. This is going to be, the, again, the official and the Fed rally for the city of Philadelphia. And the um, event details, join us as we march from the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia and take part in a massive street outreach. Thousands of flyers will be provided to help educate the public as to what the Federal Reserve is and why it is a horrible thing for this country. Uh, then Jordan Page, the, the musician, the uh, li liberty-oriented musician, Jordan Page, will actually be on a huge parade float and will be following Jordan Page as he plays freedom-inspired music uh, down, uh, up and down Market Street in Philadelphia. There will be also performances by live musicians at Buffalo Billiards, a local pub, after the, uh, the event uh, march. So there will also be speakers at the Fed building, okay, speakers who, who are confirmed are Ernie Hancock, Adam Kokesh, Larkin Rose, another speaker who just spoke at the Free Your Mind conference a couple of weeks back, Scott Davis, and Darren Wolf. So five confirmed speakers. The schedule of events at 12 o'clock, there will be a meet and greet at the Philly Fed Bank, and a, there will be sign waving there. So bring whatever signs you want to, uh, to educate people about the Fed and make your voice heard. At 12.30, um, speakers at the Fed building itself. At 1.30, turn your bank back on the Federal Reserve, a march behind Jordan Page on a parade float, handing out thousands of flyers, of provided flyers to the public. 3 o'clock p.m., the parade route finishes at Buffalo Billiards, and... The entire second floor will be rented out for the event. There will be live acoustic performances, uh, and a $10 donation is, is requested. So at 6 o'clock p.m., the, the event officially ends, but as always, everyone is free to uh, hang out, stay afterward, and have uh, continued discussion. So the Fed, Fed Stock 2, the official and the Fed rally for the city of Philadelphia here in Philadelphia, PA, Saturday, April 23rd, starting at noon at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, 6th and Arch Streets. For more information about this great activist event, go to the coordinator's website at www.truthfreedomprosperity.org. Truthfreedomprosperity.org. You could also check out the End the Fed uh, for Philadelphia website at phillyendthefed.com. P-H-I-L-L-Y, End the Fed. Com. The call-in numbers, that's the end of the event announcements for tonight. The call-in number, I should say, because there will only be one for, throughout the two hours, is 724-444-7444. Once again, the call-in number, 724-444-7444. When you call in, you have to put in the call ID number, which is 8 the call ID number 83515. So that is the call-in number, and hopefully we'll get lots of calls for Suzanne 
who I'm about to bring on, and hopefully people will call in later with some questions or comments for her. So, tonight is April 19, 2011. Our guest, Suzanne Taylor, has been involved with films since she graduated Phi Beta Kappa and Summa Cum Laude from NYU. Having been an, act- an actress, she crossed over to the other side of the camera as the executive producer of the feature documentary Crop Circle's Quest for Truth, Her new film, What on Earth? Inside the Crop Circle Mystery, won the award for Best Feature Documentary at the UFO Congress Film Festival, where Crop Circle's Quest for Truth got the Audience Award in 2003. What on Earth? got an award for excellence in paranormal filmmaking from the 2010 Paranormal Symposium and Film Festival. Suzanne is a Crop Circle authority in the History Channel series Ancient Aliens, as the founder of Mighty Companions, a nonprofit dedicated to consciousness exploration, her Los Angeles home is a gathering place for forward thinking activists. A fine arts post impressionist painter, Suzanne had a one woman show. She is an accomplished chef, an author of the Anybody Can Make It, Everyone Will Love It cookbook. She writes a blog called Making Sense of These Times at the website theconversation.org, where posts about progressive ideas include considerations of how consciousness might evolve and how, in- and how instrumental the crop circle phenomenon could be in that regard. Suzanne's websites are theconversation.org and cropcirclemovie.com. So I'm going to make a connection to her right now, and we'll bring Suzanne on, on the line here on what on earth is happening. Here we go. Hello, Suzanne. Welcome to what Welcome to What on Earth is Happening. It looks like the, the What on Earth is Happening. The forces are conspiring. Perhaps it looks like the connection dropped just as the show began to your line. We had Suzanne on the line beforehand, but I read. I just finished reading your your uh, bio here, and we uh, successfully made a connection. So, welcome to the show. Well, I, you know, I, I tuned out when you were knocking on the Federal Reserve, so, you know, I, I don't know exactly who you were uh, <laughs> chatting about before, so we have to start from scratch here. Well, know. I always do an event announcement. Uh, event well, announcements be, um, uh, to start the show uh, to let people know about what events are happening right here in the local area in Philadelphia because activism is just a gigantic part of basically the wake-up call to people and uh, that is one of the most important things is not just to know as I talk about all the time on the show but to actively get involved and becoming a change agent and that involves actually taking action in the world so I always I know of course that you have an audience that is absolutely rabid in support of what you're up to I could not believe at the conference that we just did in Philadelphia your conference yes it is probably the most enthusiastic audience I have supportive audience I ever have been in I, it was unbelievable we had a group uh, of very high consciousness individuals in that room the energy was very very high and we were very glad to have you as a part of it well it was intense really I give kudos to you for you know being able to uh, stir people to that degree. So you certainly sure. have been successful at doing that. 
Thanks so much, Suzanne. So, Suzanne, let's uh, let's get started to talk about you a little bit and what you do. Uh, why don't you I'm tell us? Too, you know. <laughs> absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, tell us how you got started researching the phenomenon of crop circles? Well, I was always interested in consciousness and interested, just as you are, in creating a world that operates along more enlightened principles. This is insane the way we run this world. I mean, I can't believe we're making war. I mean, what's the matter with us? Uh, we're so technically capable, and, and, and our consciousness is so relatively low. Um, we're, we, I mean, it's really obvious to everybody now that we're in a dangerous position. I mean, we can wipe out humanity, and yet it doesn't stop us. We just keep on going down this ridiculous path. So um, it wasn't quite as threatening and challenging uh, years ago, although I guess we've always had. I remember, of course, the Cold War was a whole other um, long state of uh, feeling the imminent arrival of nuclear weapons in our backyard, duck and cover and all that sort of thing. So uh, maybe it's just different phases of uh, being um, uh, on alert for what can get us. But, you know, the better we get at technology, the more dangerous we become to one another and the more important it is that we change the way we think so that we really aren't uh, so dangerous, that we are cooperative and that we're being creative together instead of being destruct mutually destructive. Uh, so I, it's been years that I've had that understanding and that point of view and um, way before, in fact, I even knew about crop circles. I mean, I've been around a long time. And um, years ago, I started producing uh, events and projects that had to do with changing the way we thought, opening our minds, seeing ourselves as part of the bigger reality in this universe. We're such an awesome universe, and, you know, we're not in awe. We're in anger, you know. Um, and... As I was doing all sorts of things, I mean, the kinds of things I was doing, I had a salon in my house. If you were in Los Angeles and you were lucky, you were on my uh, guest list uh, because some of the most interesting people in the world, actually, I mean, L.A. gets a cross-section or, you know, people come through L.A. Um, who are doing talks or selling books or whatever it is. Uh, they have reason to be in my big city. And uh, they, they, I would snare the most interesting people from my living room um, who were interested in progressive things, whether they were political or spiritual or self-development, what have you. A uh, great variety of very interesting people. And I like doing that not only because I'm just a born sharer. I mean, it's my nature to want everybody to be in my club, so to speak. I mean, if all of humanity were in my club, I'd be a very happy person. Uh, but I also got a chance then, of course, to mingle myself with very interesting people. And uh, so I count among my friends now many of the speakers um, who were doing their thing in my living room. And, in fact, another way that um, I've connected myself up with interesting people is uh, people should make note of, whatever, uh, my blog, which is theconversation.org. And I love my blog. I mean, if I, were, if, I'm not, if I were not involved in the movie situation and just had to spend my time doing what fascinates me, uh, one of the main things I'd be doing would be more uh, blogging. I'm not an everyday blogger, but when I find something really interesting that's not in everybody's email, uh, things that actually are hardly in anybody's email, 
um, I post them on my blog, and I write about them. I say, this is why it's interesting. This is why to pay attention. I'll extract little sentences or paragraphs to tease people into reading, um, you know, in, in more depth. Uh, and um, those people who are writing, then I, then I communicate with people who have written those things, and I get to be connected to them. And a lot of them are on the mailing list, and then they make comments on the pieces. And so we grow this web of really fascinating people who are thinking progressively, who are thinking bigger thoughts than the way uh, we've got the world running right now. And you know, you know that Margaret Mead quote: "Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, progress, uh, no, no, thoughtful, <laughs> committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has." And I kind of operate on that principle: that if we can. Uh, collectively, even a relatively small number of us put our very, very good minds and hearts together, that we can be a powerful force. So it's been many years that I've been looking to create what essentially could be a powerful force. Well, along the line of doing this, before the crop circles were um, known to anybody or many people, they landed in my lap. It was right at the beginning of the phenomenon in the 70s, well, no, I shouldn't say that. The, the beginning of the contemporary interest in the phenomenon actually was the late 70s, and I didn't tune in until the 80s. Um, but just accidentally, uh, somebody showed me pictures. A, a friend of mine had a son stationed in the military in England, and he would go out on his leave, and he, he would take pictures of what they were calling landing pads for UFOs. And I saw his album, uh, they were crop circles, and I thought, Landing pads for UFOs. Hmm. If that's for real, it will change the world. It will not just change us one person at a time where we tune into some methodology or some idea or some self-development technique or whatever. It will catch the imagination of everybody in the entire world um, and make them think again about the nature of humanity. I mean, if we're the only intelligence in the universe, we have science fiction that tells us otherwise, but we don't have any you know, science facts about it. But if, in fact, that turned out to be the accepted reality, my imagination just went there. And I thought, wow, that would not leave everyone's mind. Everybody now would have a new you know, body of information. We are not alone. And it's not ancient history that something helped us with the pyramids. It's it's interacting with us. It's alive. It's real. It's watching us. It knows us. It's sending back signals and information that's reflecting us back to ourselves. Wow, what an engagement. So with that possibility in mind, I took an interest in the circles, and uh, I started producing programs about them. Now, how much do you want me to run on before you have no, that's, words that's, to say? No, that's fantastic. I, I'd like to say that I began uh, becoming very interested in the crop circle phenomenon in the early 1990s. Uh, it wasn't until um, uh, about 1997 that I had an opportunity to visit the first crop circle formation that I ever uh, got a chance to actually get into. And this was uh, about... about 50 to 60 miles away from uh, Philadelphia in a small town outside of Princeton called Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Um, I visited one there in 1997, and just an interesting note, uh, on the website, underneath the player for this show, 
you could see a related document, which is a laboratory analysis of the formation that I visited in 1997. It was done by uh, the Burke, Levengood, and Talbot uh, research team. And um, they credited me on one of the photos because I took some uh, field photos and uh, presented them to them, and they did uh, a lab analysis of uh, both um, uh, crop samples from the laid uh, parts of the formation as well as control samples, and the results are there in that, in that lab report. Uh, also up on the site uh, in the related section underneath Suzanne's bio is a, a pack of related images. Uh, I got a chance to go out to um, England with uh, my girlfriend Barb back in 2004, and we were hosted uh, by the researcher Chet Snow and his wife Callista Snow. And uh, we took lots of photos, uh, many, many more than what I've posted here. But I picked out a few good ones for people to check out. And uh, I'd just like to mention that those links are up there right on the uh, radio listen page at What on Earth is Happening. But um, the phenomenon uh, interested me because uh, for similar reasons, as you just stated, that um, this could be the proof that we are not alone, that there are other consciousnesses in the universe, and not only in the universe, but interacting with us right here. And um, it just really is one of the major endpoints for me in consciousness phenomena in general. And it really started to take me out of the old worldview that I had been dwelling in for so long and put me into a different, more holistically inspired worldview. Uh, the crop circle phenomenon, I cannot tell the listeners to this show. This is the first time we're really bringing this up on this show, by the way. Um, and I can't tell the listeners how much this phenomenon has affected and impacted my life in particular. It is, again, one of the things I think that I would attribute uh, more than anything else, perhaps, to changing my level of consciousness uh, to base, basically igniting that spark, you know, to lead me into other things that acted as a form of synchronicity. So, Suzanne, what I'd like to ask is for listeners that may be new to this whole area of research and don't really know too much about the crop circle phenomenon, could you just uh, go on a little bit and tell them a little bit about what the crop circles are and uh, what uh, are some of the characteristics that are hallmarks of what you would consider the genuine phenomenon? Okay, big question. You know, you may have me run on for a long answer. You go, go right ahead. You have you the were... floor. Okay, well, let me go back to one of the things you were saying. You were saying that you went with Chet Snow. Well, Chet is in my movie saying he, he, he has a wonderful way of kind of uh, encapsulating essence and value and what have you. So he says some of the smartest things in my movie. And his wife, Callista, who never wants to be uh, interviewed. You can never get Callista in an interview. But I have been in this uh, work for so long um, that when I went to put the pictures in the credits, and I, I love my credits. People tend to fade out my credits when I do talks or show the movie. I say, no, 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 keep the credits. We've got the little harvest behind them, and, and we've got wonderful music. And I show the pictures of all the people who were in the film and give them you know, their name identification. And I had a picture from, I think, 10 years earlier. It was such a gorgeous, not just a picture, it's a little footage uh, that I had taken even before I had any idea that I was going to make a movie about crop circles, and it was Chet with Callista just smiling away, and I said, oh, I'm going to stick that in the credits and get Callista in my movie also. So, um, so you know, your, your, your host is indeed one of the better people to go with. And another thing I want to say is I just, I just love listening to you say that. That's exactly the reaction that, you know, is 
the, the wonderful reaction that I hope my movie will um, produce in people where um, th- this is still a somewhat unknown phenomenon. And I know from having this movie that a lot of people end up seeing it, be- particularly because they are shown it by people who do know about the phenomenon. And they, they have this wonderful reaction of eyes open and changing their point of view or, or being tweaked, you know, to be curious about things beyond, you know, their, their current understanding. And that's just why I made the movie. You know, I didn't make the movie just to please the people who already understand this sort of thing. So, you know, you, your reaction is just the one that I hope to elicit um, from the people who see this movie. And let me say, because, you know, people come and go on listening, that it's at the Quad Cinema. The reason I'm in New York now, which I am, and I was in Philadelphia prior to that, my East Coast trip um, was, first of all, your conference, but then to come into Manhattan because it's going to be at the Quad Cinema starting this Friday. It's uh, April 22nd, uh, and then it runs there through the whole week till the following Thursday, April 28th. And um, quadcinema.com will give people the details about when the screenings are and what have you. And we have, I'll be at Q&As every evening uh, for the two evening shows with some wonderful panelists. So I just want to let your listeners know, because I know that, you know, when you do a long show, people come and go. So if we could say that a few times sure. over the course of the show, I'd appreciate it. No problem. And, uh, and you've got on your website where they can go and take a look at the trailer and, in fact, get yes. the DVD, which is CropCircleMovie.com. So, so much for that. And uh, back to your um, question about, you know, or, or your invitation to talk about what, what are these things? <laughs> okay. There are people who listen and say, what? What's crop circles? Or who, you know, you, you, get, you count, encounter in the world. And I do crop circles. I, don't, I make movies. What, what is that you're talking about? Well, it used to be that you'd get that much more than you get it now. For the last 10 years or so, we've had something that I can say back to people that um, reminds them or, or informs them of what they already know, which is that they are familiar with this phenomenon, at least vaguely familiar with it. Um, when somebody says to me, what are crop circles? The first thing I say back is, did you see signs? You know, it was the fifth largest grossing movie in 19, of uh, 2002. And a lot of times people say, yeah, oh, those things, those are crop circles. Well, yeah, they are. I mean, the signs didn't say one real thing about them, but they showed pictures of some of the real ones, not the ones they, they made themselves where the aliens were floating around in them. But um, they did show pictures of the real ones. And so that's a little bit of a benchmark so that I can – so for your listeners, too, if you don't know what crop circles are, did you see signs? Okay. So back to what are they? Well, of course, they are impressions in not just crops. Uh, you get these patterns that are flattened out in uh, vegetation. But interestingly enough, they have been in virtually everything that grows. They've been in strawberries. They've been in string beans. They've been in rice paddies. They've been in grass. They've been in heather. You, you, you name a vegetation, and we've had some, at least, crop circles, but in fact, the main canvas, and we can think of them as canvases because they are like artworks. They are artworks, land art. Um, the main canvases are uh, indeed grain crops. And uh, in England, where the phenomenon is um, most uh, focused, you might say, uh, it's been in 40 other countries, and it shows up in smatters. And in fact, people don't really know that we've had a several hundred of them over the years in the United States, going way back, back into like the 40s, uh, when there's some documentation. 
Um, and indeed, that you talked about one in Pennsylvania. I'm sure a lot of your listeners thought, no, no, that's all in England. No, it's not. We, we do get our smatter. But the concentration where people uh, come every summer from all over the world, actually, who are the research community, we call ourselves, because I'm part of that, we call ourselves crappies. And uh, we're the ones who take the pictures, write the books, do the lectures, um, do the talks on radio shows, make the movies. So we are, in fact, we concentrate every summer um, on going to England. We engage with each other. We have conferences over there. And tourists come to England because that's where you can count on the fact that they're going to show up. In the rest of the world, you know, they're so spotty. And, you know, there's no concentration. You couldn't go somewhere and know that you're going to get a crop circle. But during the summer months, the growing season, um, late spring to early, well, late summer, actually, uh, you absolutely know if you go to England, you will be able, in this little area, just a couple of counties. Um, now, they fan out from there. There are others around in other uh, fringy counties outside these two. But if you are you know, paying attention in these two particular counties or provinces or whatever they are in England, um, yes, indeed, you will be able to visit crop circles. That's where the most of them land. And um, it was in the late 70s that um, we have a phenomenon that has grown, that has been paid consistent attention to, although, in fact, they do go back hundreds of years um, in crop circle lore, the official, you might say, that's not quite the right word, but whenever you get into learning or studying or investigating crop circles, the first thing that you absolutely know is a crop circle. There is no doubt about it. It's from 1678. It's a little woodcut that appeared in the literature of the day, which was some kind of pamphlet um, with old, written in Old English. But, you know, it's just unmistakable. It's a crop circle. You, 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 no doubt about it. And it, it's a little story about a farmer, and he didn't want to pay the mower. And the mower said, let the devil do it. And in the morning, this little picture of a devil inside this crop circle. <laughs> so there it is. Um, and then every hundred years or so, there have been little flurries. Um, and whatever the literature of the day happened to be. And, you know, we've got that all in our records. If you buy a good crop circle book, you'll read about all this. Um, uh, we do a little recreation in the movie. The movie is called What on Earth, by the way, with a question mark at the end of it. Um, and our tagline is Inside the Crop Circle Mystery. And I named it that because it's me who knows about these things, not some observer who, um, like our cable stations, go out every few years and make movies that make, make television programs about them. But they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're looking at. They like the skepticism. They like the idea of controversy. They focus on hoaxers. We all get, we tear our hair out. Um, but I really knew what was going on. I was inside the, that world, and I wasn't a filmmaker who found a subject. I was a subject that said, we've got to have film about this. That's the way you tell the world about something. Um, so um, it, in, um, now where was I? I was back, the 70s is when, when oh, I was doing, we do a recreation in the movie of um, a story from Nature magazine in the late 80s, late 1800s, um, where a scientist uh, reports that he went into a field that was full of circles, and, you know, we read you the little story, and we illustrated in little sepia tones, you know, you're making movies. Um, and, uh, but this is the time when, for whatever reason, uh, when the circles were stumbled across, 
uh, more people came along, more people got interested, things started to be written, and the phenomenon never went away. And now it's, and it got more and more complicated, actually. The formations got more and more complicated. But now we have our full-blown phenomenon. It's been going on since the late 70s. And uh, it's a great tourist attraction in England. Um, and um, we get these last few years, uh, maybe 110 worldwide, maybe half of them in England. But then again, the hosters have um, become better at it. it. There's always been, well, actually in the very beginning, um, when I, the very beginning for me, which was the late 80s, um, when I found those pictures that said they were landing pads for UFOs, and I started hosting uh, crop circle researchers in my little salon underground living room situation. And then the phenomenon was so popular that I couldn't fit all the people in my living room. I had to hire halls, bigger halls in the city uh, of Los Angeles. Uh, but then we had uh, the infamous Doug and Dave in 1991, uh, when these two farmers uh, came out and said, we made them all, oh dear. Um, and the um, press release that said that went all over the world, and all of a sudden, something that had been of great interest all over the world, and it was, it, as it should be, it's fascinating. All of a sudden, interest dropped. Oh, it got explained, those two guys made them all, well, we talk about that in the movie. First of all, why do people believe such a ridiculous story? Well, because it's very challenging to think that there really is visitation going on, and it's easier to park it with, oh, yeah, we don't have to think about that anymore. People talk about that in my movie. Uh, consciousness, changing the world, no, no, no. We, those guys made them all. We don't, and, and the media bought it, and the interest just waned, and it's been uphill ever since to get real attention paid to them. Um, and, and, yet, and, and the hoaxers have gotten better at it since then. They've been, indeed, Doug and Dave made some of them, and they've been succeeded by copycats, um, copycats in, in the way of being hoaxing, ho hoaxers. And um, over the years, it, it used to be that you would see terrible geometry, and you'd know, oh, that's a hoax formation. Well, they've gotten good geometers now. You can't tell now. And there are certain telltale signs, like you talked about that uh, Philadelphia formation uh, where the material went into the lab. Well, that's the lab, uh, bltresearch.com, easy to remember, bacon, lettuce, tomato, research.com. And it's fascinating to get on their site and read the reports, uh, several of which have, after really careful, you, you alluded, you know, to the fact that there are control plants and there's down crop inside a crop circle. Well, they're, 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 those are carefully sampled with real scientific protocol so that they're, you know, uh, in the world of science that we pay attention to as being our official reality, uh, science has affirmed that there are changes to the plants and the soils that cannot be accounted for. There is something going on beyond earthly knowledge. And those um, papers have been in peer-reviewed science journals. Uh, and the United States, in fact, although we, d we get very few of them, there is a rabid community of researchers here, or of enthusiasts here. They'll get on airplanes and go wherever there's a crop circle. Um, they do concentrate towards the Canadian border and the um, sort of the official home of, of the U.S. research is in Ohio. 
uh, where they have a little conference every year. But those, those people will diligently go out and sample the material and bring it into the laboratory. And the results in these American ones have been very positive. Some of those papers are based on the American ones. Uh, we are getting the real thing here, although they don't tend to be as quite as complicated, but there are still some pretty sophisticated designs. In fact, we do a montage in my film. It was all shot in England, but we do one uh, montage, what we call international crop circles. And, you know, when you're shooting your movie in England and it's international, the U.S. is, is part of international. And we show you three really lovely formations that have been in the United States. Um, so, um, the, so now, back to getting, oh, maybe 110, 120 worldwide, half of which pretty much are in England, uh, you don't know how many are hoaxed. So you don't know how many, you know, real deal you're dealing with. Um, at, and we're getting less than we used to get. Uh, we, we talk about that in the movie. At, um, the, the greatest number, I think, were 300 in one season. And the greatest number in one evening, believe it or not, in England was 35. We mentioned that also in the movie. So can you imagine 35 incredibly complex, beautiful uh, formations and fields all over England? You know, you'd think that would get the world's attention to what? Hoaxers? In one evening. One evening. One evening. Yeah. One evening. I mean, you know, these are... The, the geometry is so complicated now. How do the surveyors tell you it would take them days just to lay out? Now, somehow the hoaxers have figured out some way uh, to do that because the, the, the English nights are very short. Uh, the darkness at night is very short. They're closer to the equator. No, not the equator, the North Pole than we are. And um, the summertime uh, stays light very late and it gets light very early. Um, so I don't know how they're doing. I don't know how they're managing to do it at all. But it's not an easy thing. I mean, it's a very complicated thing. And, in fact, a lot of the formations now in England um, are coming in uh, in more than one evening. They can't finish it in one evening. So in recent years, uh, there are a fair number that uh, come in in two and even three evenings. And you know those are hoaxed, you know. Um, the, the real formation from the eyewitness accounts and we do have them. We have, I don't know, maybe 40 by now eyewitness accounts uh, where people, going way back, going back into uh, the, the 1940s, uh, where they collected all the uh, stories of people who happened to be on the scene when a crop circle was forming. And they all say the same thing. They say they, say they go down in uh, six or seven seconds. We do a little facsimile in our movie. And in fact, it's in the uh, trailer, which you see on CropCircleMovie.com. Um, of the little swishing, you know, crop um, going down in one swish. And no matter how big it is, no matter how big, we just show you one little circle, but no matter how big the formation is, all the eyewitnesses say they swoosh down in six or seven seconds. Um, so, um, okay, now where, where am I? you got to keep getting me back on track, or maybe I should stop for a little bit and breathe. Well, what, and you should say something. Sure, what I was going to ask is, what do you think is the motivating factor for anyone attempting to hoax these formations and add what can be considered noise to a possible signal of yeah. contact in some form or another by some form of intelligence, not saying that it's you know extraterrestrial bi biological life forms per se, but clearly there is some form of an intelligence behind this phenomenon in general. I often wonder why, instead of researching the genuine phenomenon as it is coming to us, 
why anyone would go out and attempt to add noise to that signal. Can you uh, think of any possible uh, motives that would be present for people to go and do that? Mark, you speak so articulately. You really ask wonderful questions and make wonderful comments. You really are speaking the intelligence of the whole situation and uh, noise indeed. Uh, well, it's a good question now, isn't it? And it is a puzzling question. People ask me if I have another movie I'm going to make. Well, I'm so busy uh, dealing with this one that uh, I don't have another one on the drawing board. But if I were going to make another one, um, I would make it about what are those hoaxers up to? What do they do? Why do they do it? How much do they do? I've actually tried to hire investigative reporters uh, because one really good investigative reporter would get to the bottom of it. You know, we're just ordinary folk who are uh, paying attention to these circles. Ordinary folk in the sense of not being, uh, you know, the kind of people who would know how to uh, do the sort of investigative reporting we need to do. We're not ordinary folk at all, actually. I mean, you've got very intelligent uh, mathematicians and geometers and historians and what have you, but nobody is in the press and nobody would know how to, you know, get the secrets out and, you know, uh, nobody's the media that way that, you know, they set up these little uh, stings and things like that. So so uh, I would make a movie just trying to find out what in the world is going on. We, we do um, talk some uh, in my movie about Doug and Dave, those original hoaxers, uh, and um, how the evidence really points to them being put up to it by the government. Uh, and... Uh, Governments don't like to uh, deal with paradigm change. They don't. They don't like it where the rug gets pulled out from under the prevailing reality. Uh, they are um, status quo um, aficionados, I, it, it, and it's not. It's not like there's something evil about that. That's just the way reality works. You know, people in power are sitting in power, and they're not looking to get upended. And it's not evil on their part. It's just sort of human nature. Um, and so um, it, 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 it is inexplicable why these hoaxes would do it. Why do they go out year after year, night after night? Uh, it, and it's, it's, it's um, unpleasant, actually. You've got a lot of bad weather in England. A lot of these things are done in the rain and in the cold. Um, and they get no credit. I mean, that's just against human nature to make gorgeous art. And have it be anonymous. I mean, do you know any wonderful artist who is delivering their art to the universe, uh, to the world, and not claiming credit? I mean, it's not human nature, and it's, it's unnatural. So why in the world are these people doing it? Uh, it's one of the big questions. You know, and the one question is why is it? Why are the? Why are the? And it's not extraterrestrials. You're smart about saying that. We don't know where it's coming from. Could be from another dimension. Could be from the future coming back. I mean, all kinds of ideas. Uh, we naturally think ETs, UFOs, but there never has been a craft sighted. Um, that's just the natural way we think. Uh, but you know, the big questions: uh, Why is it being delivered to us by the mystery force? And what in the world are these hoaxers? You know, what's what's motivating them? Yeah, my um, take is there has to be some form of payoff involved for them not to take credit for their own uh, constructions because so. yeah people would naturally want to do that um, you don't again see too many artists that just want to put their art out and not have any form of name or credit attached to it and yet that seems to be the case that to me involves 
uh, some form of a psychological operation being conducted against the public to try to draw their attention away from the genuine phenomenon. Well, you would think so. You know, um, we don't have a history uh, where we know anything about specifically other than that uh, sense, or not sense, but evidence that the British government had something to do with Doug and Dave. But aside from that, um, we do have some evidence in the UFO field of where um, the uh, government has, in fact, interjected itself to distract attention. Uh, And, you know, although I'm not a UFO person, and I got into the crop circles really knowing very little about UFOs, fortunately the UFO people like (laughs) the circles. They gave me a wonderful award from the biggest UFO organization. They gave me their main award of best feature documentary. I have the cutest thing. I didn't bring it to Philadelphia because... uh, I, I carry it around in L.A., but it's too heavy. Um, it, it looks like an Oscar, but it's an alien. He's really cute. He's like a big, tall, skinny gray. <laughs> uh, but um, the uh, back to the, the UFO people, um, have you, you know about the Robertson panel, don't you? Uh, no. Are you, are you a UFO person? I yeah, have so studied I, it, but I'm not too familiar yeah, with that. Not, yeah, okay, so let me tell your listeners. Um, in 19, I believe it was 1952, Uh, The world was quite peaceful. We'd been through wars. It was Ozzie and Harriet time. And there was a lot of activity of sightings of UFOs. Huge. It was very, very prevalent. Uh, A lot of buzz, a lot of noise, and curiosity. What in the world is it? Well, there was so much um, clamor that the government convened a panel. Now, that was, was classified information for a long time, and now um, they actually have a Wikipedia page. Uh, you can look it up, the Robertson panel. Uh, and you see the, 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 you know, the goings-on of this panel that was convened to uh, determine what the government response was going to be to all of this public curiosity and all of these so-called, you know, all these sightings that were uh, being reported. So you, it's fascinating to read, actually. Um, what the conclusion was, was that they didn't know. Now, that doesn't mean there's not some black ops operation. We know the government, you know, you know that. That's what you talk about a lot, all these kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, whatever. You know the names of them better than I do, of the things that even the president doesn't know, what have you. Uh, but this was a panel by, you know, the normal course of Congress, and they convened a panel, and these people didn't know what it was. And, but, but they were worried about that. And they thought, well, if we tell the public we don't know what it is, they're going to be scared. You know, we're the protectors, and that's not good. So what are we going to do? We don't know what it is. If we, say, if we say that, the public will be scared. What should we say? And the conclusion of this panel was that the course of action that they would employ was to ridicule it wherever it came up talk shows, newspapers, reports, sightings, wherever the opportunity or the challenge came up of this presumable something going on, they would make fun of it. And they have never rescinded that policy. So um, I think that is a little clue that we do have um, a government involvement in whatever it might take to distract attention from whatever might turn us inside out this way. And um, I would presume that 
these hoaxers are somehow being supported because it does not, and, and it would be the government. Well, who else would it be? Um, uh, we, we, we just cannot account for all their activity. It does not make sense. Um, but, you know, I am just burning with curiosity to actually get to the bottom of it. I almost had the hoaxers taking me out with them so I could see how they do it at least. Um, and they were very friendly and cordial. I think they wanted to know what I was up to, what kind of movie was I making. And um, I had a long meeting with someone who was actually a very good artist. He showed me his art portfolio. I was very impressed. I, I was sorry to see that I was so impressed because he was one of the main, the known body of hoaxers. There's a known body of hoaxers um, there. They used to be called, um, uh, oh gosh, I have it in my movie. They were called Team Satan. Team Satan, that's right, negative name. They've changed their name now. Now they call themselves Circle Makers. Oh, thank you very much. But um, it's Circle That should be now. very interesting to my listening audience. <laughs> right, right. So Team Satan was. And so I had a meeting with, with one of them. And, um, you know, hey, I want to know what's going on. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And um, they promised they would take me, he, this guy promised he would take me out. Um, and, you know, it was a, you know, it was a cordial kind of exchange of information. Um, and the next thing I know, all over the Internet, I am being slammed and damned and made fun of and whatever by this guy. Oh, and, and of course, they did not take me out, and I never got any further with um, finding out what was going on. So we need some infiltration. We need investigative reporting <laughs> by people who fool them or trick them or do whatever they do with and them. To th their whole mo just smacks of psychological operations to me. I mean that's my take on it. But I want to shift gears just a little bit and try to go into a little bit of the more esoteric side of the phenomenon and ask you. Uh, what do you make of the connection that many other researchers have made between uh, the crop circle phenomenon and uh, sacred geometry? And uh, what do you think that this possible connection between the crop circles and sacred geometry may, may signify? Well, connection isn't quite the right word. It's that they are employing sacred geometry to make these designs. That is the patterning of the designs, uh, not all of them. But a good portion of them, uh, probably the preponderance of them, because uh, some of them are not geometric at all. When they're geometric, they're, they're sacred geometry. And sacred geometry, I'm not a real expert. You can't ask me too many detailed questions. Mm -hmm. Even though I was a math whiz in high school, I got 100 on everything. I, I took it all, solid geometry, advanced algebra. But you know how fast you forget that stuff? <laughs> it's been a long time since I was in high school. Uh, but um, sacred geometry is indeed the geometry that is the design of the universe. Uh, the whole planetary whatever is sacred geometry. If you reduce things to uh, proportion and number, uh, our bodies. If you reduce the um, uh, translate the parts of our body, the forearm to the upper arm, the fingers to the this, the joints to the that. Every single part of our body. If you relate one part to the next part and you reduce it or you uh, translate it into um, geometry you'll find that it's this sacred geometry. Those are the proportions that are the numbers of sacred geometry. Plants grow according to the proportions of sacred geometry. So the universe is sacred geometry. And indeed, there are the crop circles being designed. I mean, there's plenty of geometry that's not sacred geometry, but there are the crop circles being designed along the lines of sacred geometry. 
So then what do you make of that? Well, why would that be? And then you kind of get into, well, I think these, what are the crop circles doing? And I think they're calling us to this elemental state where we were, we ourselves were not so divorced from nature, where we felt ourselves to be part of nature, where we weren't set up to be, uh, you know, just material beings, but we were uh, spiritual beings as well. And everything about the circles actually pulls us into this other understanding or reminder or expression um, of a different reality that would make us um, much more um, cooperative and loving. And uh, I mean, the universe is an awesome place. You know, I don't think it was made so that we would kill each other. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, um, you know, the, 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 the circles have other aspects to them aside from their geometric design that does echo that idea that they are um, a, uh, that one of the things about them is to wake us up to this uh, deeper reality, broader reality, more beautiful reality. Uh, for instance, they typically land near ancient sites. Again, back to the ancient times when we were of a different mentality. Um, and they not only uh, land near them, they relate to them. Like if there's a, if there's a direction to a, to a circle. When I say ancient sites, I, uh, like famous ones like Stonehenge, everybody knows Stonehenge. But there are many others in England, and I think that's possibly also the reason why they concentrate in England. Because in this particular area, Stonehenge is sort of to the southern part of it. Um, the, the, uh, it's a very manipulated landscape. Uh, they, there's been sacred ceremony done there for hundreds of years, and um, there's a lot of uh, things that were created by human beings, like Stonehenge, um, many, many, hundreds of, uh, of stone circles, actually, in the British Isles. Uh, and, the, and the crop circles typically land near one or another of these, or they'll land near an ancient burial mound, a tumuli, or, um, uh, or, or, or something complex that's the stone chambers that they have all over England that, that uh, were used in some way by the ancients. Um, and, and as I say, they not only land near them, they will orient themselves in relation to them so that if there's a direction... Um, the mandala-like ones, the circular ones, don't have much direction. They're just circular. But there are plenty of them that do, that point somewhere. Uh, and they'll point, like, right at the middle of one of these ancient uh, artifacts, ruins or what have you. Or they'll point at a tangent, like Silbury Hill. Um, you'll find crop circles. Silbury Hill is the oldest man-made mound in the world. and It's got a pyramid under the um, earthen part of it all. Um, wasn't that the Beatles and they make that one famous, Silbury Hill? Yes, uh, uh, Suzanne, I'd like to just briefly mention, uh, for the listeners who uh, are on the listen page, if you uh, click the zip file in which I put uh, many photos from my 2004 uh, trip to, uh, to England uh, with Barb when we went with Chet and Callista Snow, if you download that and unpack that zip file, there will be many images of some of the structures that Suzanne is talking about uh, in southern England. Uh, there are images of Stonehenge, there are images of Silbury Hill, uh, West Kennet Longbarrow, and yeah. also Avebury. Mm -hmm. 
indeed. Those are some of the more famous ones, and they're maintained by English Heritage. Uh, there's also, you know, not famous ones. As I say, you can't hardly turn around without falling over some little something or other that's from ancient times. But Silbury Hill is actually one of the most uh, popular places where all around it you'll find crops. You, you, you can almost guarantee that if you park on Silbury Hill, which you can't park there, but if you were there, you know, you would get crop circles around there. You'd be able to see crop circles during the season. And they will. They will point right at the center of it or they'll point right at the side of it, which would tangenting it. Um, and so, you know, this, whatever this um, visitation force is, um, is not just plopping things down anywhere. They're very carefully placing things um, in ways that are meaningful. And I think it's partly as they're landing near these sacred sites as part of that kind of overall uh, situation in which we're being called back to this time when we were more whole. Um, but um, also showing us that it isn't random. This isn't like snowflakes, that some mind is out there absolutely picking the places, not to mention designing, making the designs, uh, because sometimes people say, oh, maybe it's just nature and a force like, like snowflakes are all different. No, 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 there's, it isn't that. It's something with mind is um, uh, designing these things and placing them because they are so carefully related to things. Or, for instance, I mean, getting out of the sacred aspect of it, but into the fact that there's mind delivering them, um, they, they don't land where they cross fields. You're, you're not in uh, industrial farming here with huge swaths of uh, corporate farms. You're in little family farms, and they're all like little canvases, and the crop circles are like the artworks, but they land in the middle of the field or inside the parameters of the field. They don't, if they were sort of random, they kind of cross fields, and you know, who knows where they'd land. No, no, no. Something is carefully placing them for some reason, and, you know, then we get into the aspect that I like to think about, which is why are they coming in the first place? And um, I think it's to tell us that we're not the only intelligence. And, the, and, and so they're, they're, the, the, the evidence is how carefully they're placed, how carefully they're designed, how the designs are mirroring back to us many things, not only our sacred geometry, but also uh, religious symbology. We've got a menorah. We've got a tree of life. We've got many Celtic um, symbols, uh, things that we recognize. Oh, yeah, we know what that is, you know. It's like, oh, you know, again, it's not snowflakes. Something is putting together patterns that, that we recognize. We get, we get um, astrological alignments. I show one in my movie, uh, which is the pattern of the planets in our solar system on that fateful day in 2012 when something important is supposed to happen. So again, they're saying, yeah, we read you. We're going to give back to you this evidence that we, we read you and that we are an intelligence engaging you. I mean, I can just picture them scratching whatever passes for their heads, as I say in the movie, going, where are they going to get it? How much do we have to do that's smart and that's recognizable before these humans go, oh, something is calling us? <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, of course, that is what they're doing. Uh, so now am I at the end of some other kind of break here where have I answered something or am I no, but, no, no, but we're coming up to the top of the second hour, so let me just give the call-in number again, and uh, then we can go right, jump right back in. For any listeners that want to call and talk with Suzanne Taylor, ask her any questions that you may have, the call-in number for tonight's show is 
724-444. Once again, the call-in number, 724-444-7444. When you call in... When you call in, you'll be prompted for the call ID number for what on earth is happening. The call ID number for this show is 83515. Once again, the call ID number 83515. We're talking tonight with Suzanne Taylor of theconversation.org. Suzanne is a crop circle researcher and filmmaker. She made the film What on Earth? Inside the Crop Circle Mystery, and you can learn more about her film at the website cropcirclemovie.com. So, Suzanne, thanks so much again for being here today, and your talk at the For Your Mind conference was great. We screened your film on Saturday night. A lot of people loved it and had uh, great comments about it. Uh, let's jump right back into uh, to talking about this phenomenon and why we think it is so significant for our listeners out there to look into and uh, do some research about. Uh, could you, uh, for some of the more, I guess you could say, um, uh, left-brained or scientifically oriented uh, people who may be listening, can you make some comments or talk a little bit about some of the actual scientific research that has been done uh, into this phenomenon? Uh, for example, on the plants themselves, uh, the, some of the changes that uh, are observed in occurring with the plants that are laid down as part of the crop circle patterns versus uh, control samples taken from outside the pattern, uh, outside of the patterns uh, in the fields that show no such changes. Well, indeed, that uh, that you know, whenever people ask, you know, so what's the definitive evidence that you uh, got a phenomenon here that's not people? Well, the definitive evidence is indeed what's coming from the labs because, or the that particular lab is the one that's done most of the research. The one you mentioned, um, bltresearch.com is where you find the papers. Uh, and um, it's very expensive, of course, to do real scientific studies, which, you know, is what they're reporting on. So um, would that we could do them on every formation, but, of course, that's impossible. But then again, I mean, all you really need to do is show that on one, for instance, that, oh, hello, we can't do this, then you know that something else is doing it, and there's far more than one that they've done their studies on. Uh, and what they'll do is, just as you described before, they'll take control um, plants from outside the formations and many, many samples from all over inside because there's uh, different things that happen in different parts of the formation, like as, the, um, uh, as you get further from the center of a mandala-like formation, there are changes uh, the further away you get. But some of the typical kinds of things that they will discover, you've got plants and you've got soil. There have been studies on both. Um, maybe I'll start with the soil, actually, which was, I don't know, I think the most expensive study they ever did, um, and came up with this wonderful particular finding, uh, which is that they took you know, soil from inside the topsoil, inside a formation, compared to the soil in the rest of the world, you know, outside the formation and beyond. Um, and what they determined was that there was no such thing on Earth, on the surface of the Earth, as the crystalline structure of the soil inside this crop formation. And it was, as they report, comparable to the crystalline structure that you might find way down deep below the surface of the earth, where the pressure from the top and the heat from the bottom over millions of years had cooked the soil 
And that would be a kind of crystalline structure in the surface of this crop circle that you would expect to find way down deep. And again, on bltresearch.com, you can read all about this. So I love that study. It's so simple and so specific, you know, and so telling. Um, and there were, I believe, more than, I think there was more than one lab involved with that um, you, you can read about it. I know every time I read it, I go, whoa, this was a really good study uh, and such a really impressive finding. As far as the plants go, there's lots of other kinds of changes that they've discovered. Um, and I show you actually in What on Earth, I show you um, some pictures of the um, comparisons between regular crop and the crop that has been affected. Um, and there are different kinds of changes, for instance, in the seeds. Um, if the energy strikes early in um, the development of the seeds, first of all, you'll get empty seed heads. The plant will continue to grow. There will be no seeds. Um, I don't show that because there's no seeds. But if the, if the seeds have already started to develop and the energy strikes early in the developmental phase, the seeds will be stunted. And um, I do show that. Uh, they will not really produce much in the way of um, crop uh, when you plant them. But if the energy strikes later in the development of the seeds, it energizes the seeds. And it's very clear to see. I mean, you see these really robust seeds from uh, a formation where you know, the energy came later. Uh, it was later in the growing cycle that, that the crop um, circle formed. Uh, and you see these kind of puny things from early on where the seed is obviously damaged seed head is damaged, and the later ones were quite robust. And it, it, we had somebody who was making successive plantings until something happened finally, and I think there was a fire in the field, and it wiped out several uh, seasons. Uh, it was the last, you know, season that was growing of um, successive plantings where uh, the seeds that had been highly energized were planted, and then they produce seeds, uh, just normal. In the course of growing, they produce seeds, and he planted those. And there were um, several seasons of seeds planted, and each each crop got more robust. Um, a guy named Steve Perkapel from uh, one of the Midwest states. And um, unfortunately, we don't have the, the, you know, we can't say, oh, look, because, <laughs> because he lost his last crop. I'm very sorry to say. But that is one of the, you know, situations with uh, the energy. Another thing that happens is um, when, they, when, when the, for, you know, the formations occur in all phases of the growing season for the different crops. So you'll get formations in green crop of whatever the crop happens to be, and you'll get formations in crop that's just ready to be harvested, dry and brittle. And Well, when the um, formations occur in green crop, that's when the plants bend over in right angles at the nodal points. They stretch. Uh, they, they have figured out, or I don't know if it's definitive, but I keep hearing, I, I, I think it is definitive. You know, I'm not a scientist, so you have to forgive me that. But um, they, they, they do speak about the fact that it's, it seems to be microwave energy, which is available on Earth, and how they harness it, who knows, but that, it, that that is the causal factor that makes the plants bend over. And it's heat which is interesting that the plants don't burn up. We, we sometimes find singe on them. Um, but, you know, how do they do that? Who knows? Who knows how they harness it? I don't know. 
But in green crop, the plants will bend over at the nodal points, and there are nodes in um, green crop every whatever so often, every few inches or whatever. Uh, that's how they grow. And uh, so at the nodal points um, of green crop, they will just bend over in right angles. And then, in fact, the next nodal point will bend up, and phototropism will take over, and the plant will continue to grow. Uh, in, the gr in, the, in the dry crop, when the crop is ready to be harvested, um, there's no give, there's no spring. Uh, and so when they do bend over, but how do they bend? There's no, there's no elasticity anymore. They blow holes in the nodes. And I show you pictures of that in What on Earth. You see pictures of blown nodes. They're clear holes that, you know, the plant has bent over, but the way it bent was when the energy came through it, not being able to uh, have springiness that could stretch the node, the node just, you know, broke. And, and we call they're little round holes, and the, and the energy goes through the hole, but creates the possibility for the plant to bend over. There, by the way, have been um, several instances which I find fascinating, um, and I, I, I can't find any pictures of them. Um, well, I would have put them in the movie, but you read about them, where the plants were bent. Now, the nodal point where virtually, you know, all except some of the ones I'm going to tell you about, uh, the plants bend over are down near the ground. Um, in fact, they're not right smooshed into the ground, and if a crop circle hasn't been walked on, uh, if it's in the back country or, well, that's the only way they're not walked on, if they're too far away and people don't know about them. Sometimes the farmers discover them when they're harvesting. But um, if they haven't been walked on, the harvester can get underneath the plants and actually, you know, they can pick, they can harvest them. Um, if they've been trampled, they can't do that. Um, but uh, in um, the ones that, um, that that now let's see, why did I start to tell you that? The ones that bend over in the dry crop, um, they can't harvest them anymore when people when people walk on them. Um, oh, I guess they could harvest them if they're in the dry crop in the back country. They could harvest them as well. Uh, so that's another thing that that uh, is the you know the, the 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 things that happen to the plants in crop circles. Um, there's something else that happens to the actual um, tissue of the soil, uh, not the soil of the of the plants, rackets or some such. Now we're into the science that I'm not going to be able to speak too much about, but it's the biological aspect of um, the you know you put the plants under the microscope and. Something happens to the tissue of the genuine ones. Um, and, of course, you know, that is a way to tell the real from the fake. There's just you don't have any of the blown nodes in the fake ones. You just have broken stuff. Um, there's no bending. There's just, you know, the, 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 board, the, the, stomper, the uh, hoaxes have come along with the, what they call stomping boards. They put their feet into a board that they're holding. Um, the ropes are going up from either end of the board to their hand. And they just, they're three foot long um, boards, and they just uh, put their foot in and they stomp one, um, you know, one, one section down, and then they walk one step further and they stomp the next section down. And in fact, that's the first thing that when you get into a crop circle, is it real, is it not real? The first thing you do is you get on your knees and you look for the crease marks because the board will leave crease marks. It's not bending at the nodes, it's bending in some unnatural place. We show you that in the movie too, where there's breakage. And, uh, and at the point at which it breaks, they leave a white, it leaves a white crease mark all across three foot long. So you see these, 
you know, one plant after another with little white crease marks. Oh, you're in a hoax formation. Um, but those are, I think those are the main uh, changes that the laboratory has, um, has come up with and discovered and how, what it is they look for in order to ascertain whether you're in something mysterious or something that has been human-made. Yes, on... I think I actually answered your question. On um, the website in the uh, lab analysis from the Lawrenceville formation that I was in, uh, there is some evidence, there was some evidence in these plants which were uh, oat, and it was a very dry season uh, in New Jersey in 1997. This was in an uh, organic oat field uh, in the formation, the first, very first crop circle formation I was ever in, and this laboratory analysis yielded uh, the results that there were changes to the mitochondria the mitochondria yes, are inside the, yes, the nuclei yes. of the cells, and uh, right. they showed that there was some mitochondrial damage from whatever energies the crops had been exposed to. And this uh, mitochondrial change actually um, dissipated the farther away from the formation, from the center of the formation that you got, and uh, the control samples showed no such changes. Ah, yes. Now, yes, yes, yes. And also, I dropped a point, actually, that I was about to make. So those are two things I want to say. You're right about that. That's another of the things that I sort of meant, allude to that, that the further away you get from the center, the different um, – this one very uh, famous study, and um, it's um, done by a um, uh, Scandinavian – what is he? Norwegian uh, – Eljo Hasselhoff uh, – and he has a book, um, The Complexity of the Crop Circles, and I actually have pictures uh, in my movie from his book where, in fact, the further away you got from the center, the, there was a greater difference in the bins or some such, you know. Another thing that you, you, you would never find in a hoax circle where whatever it was, it was, you know, throughout the whole formation. But there was a different degree of, I think it was bending in some way that, that was different uh, the further away you got from the center. And the thing I started to say that I, when I lost my train of thought was that although uh, typically the plants will bend at the first node, and that's where the harvester can pick it up if, um, in fact, they haven't been walked in by people, but sometimes there have been some, and as to where I said I couldn't get pictures of them, I wish I could have, but I've, I've never seen any pictures. But I've read reports from researchers, you know, who know what they're talking about, that um, they bend at the second node. So if you can picture maybe a foot off the ground or maybe even a little higher, all of a sudden you have a crop circle that's not down by the ground. I mean, you know, even though they don't, like the first node is not exactly... Um, on the ground itself, but it's a couple of inches off. Uh, but the second node comes up higher, and they've had these formations several times where they're bent at the second node, and I would have loved to have been in one of those. I've never been in one of those, but can you imagine you walk into something, and, you know, down at your knees, this thing is bent over at the right angle, and it's all, I mean, that's just a lovely must be amazing. The, really? in, in the series of photos that I posted to the site for those who may be downloading the zip file, um, if you look at image number 36 um, near the beginning of, of the uh, images, uh, you'll see a nodal bend. Uh, this is what uh, Suzanne is referring to. Uh, and I believe this is at the second node. This was not typical of the entire oh, formation. Really? This happens to, to be your picture, right? this happens to be one plant that we found, but the, the entire formation oh, right. did not display did not display this. But it is clearly a nodal bend, uh, and um, you know, 
people can, can see it there in image number 36 in the pack of images that I've posted. Well, indeed, they've had these formations where it's the entire formation bends that way. Another interesting thing that happens, which isn't so much um, uh, a report from the lab, but something you see, which I just love, um, there are um, stray plants, like little poppies with pretty little flowers on them, um, that, you know, just as, as in any field of anything, you get little stray plants that aren't that crop or that, you know, field of whatever it is. Um, which is, you know, the way farming works or the way agriculture or the way plants work. Uh, and in the crop formations, you frequently will see just this one little plant. The whole formation's down, and this one uh, alternative plant hasn't been put down. It's, it's still standing up, your little flower is blooming. Well, I think, you know, what's going on is that whoever or whatever, whatever force this is, is is um, keyed into a particular plant, the energy, the signal, or whatever. Um, it, it has been programmed to um, bend a particular plant. And if a little straggler is in there, a stray is in there, it doesn't go down. I just love seeing that. That's just one of the little, oh, look, there's a poppy still standing. I'll tell you something else I found once. I found, well, I was in a formation where... It was fairly, it was very new, actually, and, and there, uh, you know, the minute something comes down, everybody races toward it. Uh, now they've even got GPS signals that get us there. It used to be you had to hunt and peck, and uh, let's see, it's three fields over, and you climb over the fence, and you go under the barbed wire, whatever, and then sometimes you never found it. Well, now little GPS signals get us there, thanks to modern technology. Uh, but one of the formations that I was in, um, somebody... Or, you know, two feet away from me, said, oh, my gosh, look at this. And right underneath the lay, you know, the bent crop, was a dead, warm bird. Wow. Still hot. It had just, uh, you know, just, just expired. And, I mean, there's just no way a hoaxer took a, a bird and killed it and stuck it underneath. You couldn't see it. You know, people were walking around the formation, and they, they came across, you know, oh, my gosh, look at this, right under the, you know, lay of the crop. There's this warm, dead bird. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Wow, just, I guess, in the wrong place at the wrong time or just didn't yeah. make it out uh, when the energy okay. arrived. You know, there's, an, there's actually a funny story I like about two Canadian formations. Um, and, you know, the story is you know, well-known in cropsicle lore where they... Uh, well, I'll back up and tell you that what porky, most animals, when they sense danger, they run. And there is a kind of an intimation from the eyewitness accounts that something uh, uh, disturbing is, is happening right before the circle goes down. Uh, the air is like sizzly, and, uh, uh, you know, it feels like something's going on. And if there were animals around, I presume they would run. Well, porcupines don't run. They curl up when they sense danger. And there have been two formations in Canada where porcupines have been pulled into the middle of the formation and their quills are swirled on top, you know. <laughs> They've been subjected to the force. Well, I just love that. I mean, I don't love it. I'm poor, poor, poor porcupines. I mean, I'm sorry that they got caught in it all, but something about the quills swirled right in the center of the formations is something, you know, interesting about that idea. 
Another phenomenon that you see is complexity within the very lays of the laid plants and sometimes uh, what seems like uh, dimensionality within the laid plants. Uh, there's an image in the pack that I posted, which is number 577, that shows almost like a water-like formation uh, of, of, of swirled plants and, and nests, what they refer to as nests inside the laid plants. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, actual complexity uh, that, that is shown within the lays of some of these formations? Well, indeed, that's yet another uh, piece of evidence when you find formations, and there's different, you know, um, things I, you know, one could point to that are of this character of the lay. Um, but that's another thing. When you find these things, you go, oh, this is for real. Uh, some of it has to do with the entire lay, like there are formations, very few, but there are, um, where it's like a basket weave. The crop goes under, over, under, over, throughout the whole formation. We show uh, one of those in the film. Um, and, oh, my gosh, you know what it would take for acres of, <laughs> of land to get braided that way? Um, and that's, you know, the entire thing. Then I think you're talking, again, about another feature where you kind of see... Um, like waves going on, yes. uh, um, uh, swirly patterns that, that are just beautiful. I mean, they're like, you know, somebody was painting or something and created this uh, lovely patterning. They're not just plants laying side by side. They're doing something, you know. There's a very interesting uh, aspect to what they're doing. And then you alluded to what we call, we think of as features. It's not the whole um, uh, lay of the of the formation that 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 you're talking about when you mention that it's at just a particular place. Like the most typical one is the center of, of a mandala, like uh, or, or or the ones that have cir circular elements in them. Frequently, um, the the most common one is just these uh, uh, rather simple things that are like hay stall. You know, if you if you uh, tied some hay together and stuck it up, you know, this lovely kind of uh, stalky thing in the center. Uh, where the top part kind of leans out and, you know, the center part has uh, like a, a band around it. Um, but um, there are also much more complicated uh, situations where, again, the, these things, and, and we do show some of those in What, what on Earth also, where um, they're, they're things are woven, they're like tents or they're, they're splayed out or, but there's, and if you picked it up, the whole thing would come up. It's not, you know, wouldn't fall apart on you because it's a very tightly uh, ordered kind of, you know, like a basket. Somebody was weaving a basket or some such, and they come in different shapes. It's hard to describe them uh, verbally, but um, if, uh, if you see pictures of them, you go, whoa, isn't that interesting? People don't talk about that very much, you know, and the hoaxers can't do that. Uh, so again, that's a you know actually it's one of the things if you if you get into a new circle, uh, you just run around looking is there a feature in here you know and somehow after people trample them I don't know they they don't they don't honor them and they tend to kind of get smashed and fall apart and what have you or not fall apart they get smashed apart uh, but oh it's so wonderful to come across one of those it's like you know finding some jewel in the middle uh, or in some place in the crop circle, not always in the middle, sometimes randomly, just somewhere in the circle, but typically also more typically in the middle of a circle that's part of a formation. 
Now, folks, you have to understand how gigantic some of these formations are. Yes, some of them are a bit smaller. Uh, you do get some that are not huge, but we were in some in England that were over three football fields long that almost tired you out walking in the, the noonday sun from one end to another. Uh, yeah. Some of the, the amount of plants that need to be laid is just absolutely amazing. Indeed, staggering. I mean, just picture. Um, I was in one, by the way, although it wasn't the whole field, but it was three-quarters of a mile long. Um, it, it wasn't wide. It was narrow. It was like a winding path, three-quarters of a mile long. And then a along the way of the winding path, uh, there were uh, circles that were off the path that were connected to the path. Uh, I mean, it was actually sunny in that one where it was a lovely day and we embarked. It's actually the one where I took that picture of Chet and Kalisa. We met them. They were coming out of it as I was going into it and um, or took the footage of them. Um, and so I was with two girlfriends and we you know, parked our car. We took our little picture of Chet and Kalisa uh, we started walking down this through, and we got to the end of the three quarters of a mile, a long way, and it started to pour. And it was a torrential pour. And of course, everything gets, I mean, really wet and muddy and whatever. We were so wet when we got back to the car, and there were three girls. The car was steamy. You couldn't see through <laughs> the, um, the windows. We took all our clothes off and wrung them out. <laughs> And we came back, had little towels in the car, we drove back to our bed and breakfast and they vaguely wrapped it in our little towels. Uh, it was quite a scene. It actually makes you laugh, you know, it just, it's just so hopeless. We were just so hopelessly mired and yuck. Sure, we got caught in one torrential rain while we were out there. It, it just, the skies opened up suddenly. And yep. just in the time it took us to get back to the car, it was like we had uh, taken a shower outside. That's how torrential it was. Well, the weather in England is very spotty. I mean, it can be the summer. I think it was 2003. They were dying all over Europe that summer from over 100 degree heat uh, for a long stretch of the summer. And here, if you picture us in crop fields. Oh my God! Uh, and then we've been there where you have to keep your jacket on. Or, you know, the shoot that um, we did. You know, I'm the executive. Did we mention I'm the executive producer of uh, Crop Circles Quest for Truth, which came out in 2002? And we were on a 10-week shoot in England in 2001. Uh, and I, I don't think we got out of our jackets. We, we were really cold. Um, it, it, and, you know, England's such a wide variety of weather patterns. It's a little bit frustrating, actually, when you want to plan a trip because you don't know, you know, you're going to get there. And, and then when it's beautiful, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's, some, it's heaven, you know, but uncertain. You don't know we, what we, we were fortunate to have very good weather when we were in England for the two weeks that we were there. Suzanne, I have a caller on the line. Would you like to take a call? Love it. Okay, here we go. All right, caller to What on Earth is Happening? You're on live with Suzanne Taylor. What do you have for us? Hey, this is Sam from San Diego. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great. Uh, my question is, um, I've watched a movie that called from the Seem Harriman, and yes. uh, he was using the crop circles to explain his uh, his theory about uh, the shape of the universe, you know, and give a whole narrative. You know, I can't story. hear this caller. Uh, oh, can caller, you hear me can now? you speak up a bit? 
Can you hear me now? It's echoing, actually. It's echoing oh. on your end. I can repeat. Yeah, it's the, echoing. I, I can't make out what he's saying. I, I can hear I can, that he's talking. I can repeat the question. He's yeah, uh, yeah, he's, he's referencing the physicist called uh, who, who's named Nassim Haramein. I'm yes. not sure if you're familiar with Nassim. Yes, yes I'm and very he, familiar. And he's saying that Nassim brings the phenomenon of crop circles into his work, uh, which is related to uh, the scaling law uh, law that he's developed uh, from everything down to the subatomic structures up to the scale of galaxies, and also um, the 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 basic shape of everything which he talks about as uh, the tetrahedral uh, geometry that underlies all form. It's basically sacred geometry. So, Carl, did you have a specific question? Yeah, are they doing any research on maybe looking at the crop circles as a uh, way of speaking to us uh, through the symbolism? Okay. Okay, actually, I did hear that. Well, yes, Nassim Harman is very uh, at the cutting edge these days. I've been to a presentation. He's got people trained to do his work, and they talk nonstop for hours. <laughs> and indeed, the crop circles are a significant part of how it's the pattern of everything that he's talking about. And uh, uh, you've described, you know, it as well as I could. Uh, it's very complex, and and yet he's trying to make you know sense of how the whole world is working. And I love that he's got these crop circles right at the heart of how it is that, you know, he's describing the workings of the universe. Um, and the, uh, let's see, the caller asked, oh, what was the meaning of the things? Um, well, you know, frequently uh, people believe, uh, kind of a common perception or belief, that we're waiting to figure out the jigsaw puzzle and that when all the pieces come in, we'll have the message. Um, or something like, oh, hieroglyphics where if we can translate the alphabet, we'll know what they're saying. Now, we're in conjecture here, you know, until, you know, they, they specifically come out and say why they're doing what they're doing. We have to speculate. Why are we getting what we're getting? And I don't think that any, either of those are reasonable um, theories. Um, when, when you, when you um, tune into the circle phenomenon, what you discover is that many of the circles are loaded with information. Uh, the crop circle, in fact, your, re, your listeners should know that during the season, which is just about to start, um, cropcircleconnector.com will put up a page for each formation that comes in, and a very intelligent audience, uh, viewers, uh, you know, people will get on the website, and people from all different disciplines will tell you what they see. Uh, the formulas, the patterns, the meanings, the whatever, and the page will be loaded with uh, interpretation that, you know, it isn't fanciful, it's objective. This is what's in there. There's a formula for this in there, or there's an astrological alignment or whatever. Um, and so individually, there's lots of information being conveyed, but they don't seem to string together in some way that um, makes sense. And indeed, I think to myself, well, you know, if they were trying to deliver a message, I mean, they're so bright, they're so smart, they're so sharp, they're so able to deliver information to us, they would just, you know, write out something in a crop field. This is what we want to tell you. Well, I don't think they want to tell us anything. Uh, I think they want to reflect to us that there is other intelligence in the universe, and they're just giving us over and over again in all the ways we talked about where they place them, uh, talked about uh, where they point them. We talked about the different information encoded in them that just reeks of intelligence, intelligence, intelligence. 
not you, us, uh, other intelligence. You're not the only ones. And once we got that, once we accepted that, once we acknowledged that, once you see contact in headlines all over the world, your world is going to change. You're going to have to rethink, oh, so we're not alone here. What is that? And it would not be today's news that would go away tomorrow. It would be forever. It would, it would be the most interesting thing that ever happened to humanity. And we would not be able to stop thinking about it. Or, and then not only would we, it would capture everyone's imagination, just, just think yourself. Your mind is now, oh, my gosh, something is signaling, and it's not us. Um, but we would be in one conversation on Earth. Uh, everyone in humanity would be trying to figure it out together. Uh, it would be a subject, a peaceful kind of subject that we could talk about uh, together. And uh, we don't have anything like that. We don't have a, you know, something that unites us and other than uh, danger and, and, you know, when terrible things happen, we get united. But this would be a, a, a subject that would capture everyone's imagination and that would put us into one inquiry on Earth as to what was it, what should we do about it. Uh, and, well, the further thought I have about that is that once we acknowledge that, um, now, right now, you know, we don't, we don't give credence to it as, as humanity. And so it just does what it does and more and more of what it does until perhaps we do uh, acknowledge that something's going on, and then I wonder what it would do. I mean, once we we are collectively saying, wow, something's going on, would it give us more? Until we I mean, can't ignore it anymore. You know, it would be so in our face that we couldn't ignore it anymore. I, I so see not these... only that, but what do you think it would do? I mean, don't you think it, it's ahead of us? It's visiting us. We're not visiting it. Maybe it could help us solve some of these horrible problems. Maybe it's got science. Maybe it's got yeah. technology. Maybe the you real know, maybe... conversation would begin at that point. It's just knocking really? on the door, and we're, we're refusing to answer it. Really? Really, I like to, you know, think, whoa, that could really start a whole new era, not only of our own thought, but of the delivery. Right now, it has no receptivity. You know, right. why, would it, why would it give us good things that would help us if, we, if we're, if we're not right. even, you know, acknowledging it? But if we were receptive, whoa, yes. what would it do? It's attempting right now, I think, to call us out of the ego, to call us out of our self-absorption, and to uh, call us out of unidimensional thinking. And once we acknowledge all of those things, maybe then, like I said, the real conversation would begin. Well, I'm with you, Mark. I'm in very, you know, you make very, very trenchant uh, comments and observations. We're on the same page. Shame you're not older that uh, we'll get to hook up. <laughs> so let me ask you a couple of, yeah. uh, of other uh, questions. Let's, what's your favorite crop circle pattern that's ever come down, just aesthetically or just from an intuitive point of view or, you know, may, has made a resonant connection with you? What is your favorite crop circle formation ever? Well, I'll tell you, I, I can't I actually give you one, but I can give you a few. But for that, we haven't mentioned that my film's going to be at the Quad Cinema in New York for a while in case we lost people and they come on. Sure. Uh, that the reason I'm on the East Coast was one thing to your conference in Philadelphia, the Free Your Mind Conference. Yes. But then I moved over. I'm in New York now doing promotion for this week's run that's going to come uh, start on Friday, the 22nd to the 28th. Everybody in Manhattan knows Quad Cinema. So I all have to do is mention that, and um, anybody who's in the New York area will, you know, know to look on quadcinema.com, and you can find out the schedule for my movie, 
and I'll be doing Q&As with very interesting panelists. You can find that out also uh, every evening for the two evening shows. Okay, so back to my favorite patterns. Um, I, I, there, there are several of them. Um, one of them, uh, I'll end up with the one we can talk about, but I'll just tell you about the others. Sure. Uh, one is that ribbons pattern that I think was 2002. I could be wrong. Uh, but it looks like ribbons, like six arms, I think, maybe five, waving in the breeze. It's got such a three-dimensional aspect where you really think it's like a maypole kind of thing. You think you're looking at ribbons, and it's placed so interestingly. There are three tumuli, and these ribbons don't um, come in the middle. They're on the edges of them, and the thing, the ribbons are just placed right inside them so that they don't violate them, you know, they don't cross over them uh, it's been carefully, you know, placed inside um, the land, the, the things that are in the land. And it's just beautiful. I just love looking at it. I have several images of it in my home, actually, on my walls, because I like looking at it. And I have one on a T-shirt. <laughs> uh, now, that's one that I like a lot. Then you can't help but like the, um, the one that came in in 2001 uh, that is, the biggest one ever is in terms of um, a, a sort of concentration of circles. It's uh, um, the the um, the size of two football fields, and it's got it's a fractal pattern with um, I believe six arms and many little circles off the um, main main circle. Was this the one at Milk Hill that had yes. 409 circles in yes. it? Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember that one strongly resonates with me as well because it came down on my birthday in 2012. Oh, really? Yes, on August <laughs> 12th. Yes. Huh. Well, that's, uh, they call it a Catherine wheel, which has some significance in the Bible. I'm not much of a Bible person, so I don't know that, but that is what they call it, and uh, it's exactly the one you're talking about. I sat in that one from dusk until night, which was several hours with a friend, with one of the crop circle people who's in my movie, actually. And we just sat there in awe, just, you know, watching the, the light go fade out and the lights below and little villages come on and sitting in this absolute miracle. Uh, it was, I mean, it, it was so big and it was so, you know, was so much going on in it. It was so impossible. Uh, uh, that So that for sure has to be, you know, on my handful. And then the the last one that I would mention Although, you know, as I think about it, I want to mention a bunch. But the last one that I would mention is that other one um, from a little later in 2001, which I thought was going to break the phenomenon into the big world. I thought because that one that we're talking about at Milk Hill got the attention of the world because it, at that point it was the biggest one ever. Yes. And um, it um, got CNN there. And, you know, it made, every once in a while the world press pays attention when something unusual happens. And so then a few weeks later, when that uh, message came in, I thought, okay, this is it. The, the, the biggest one ever, and now this message, the world is going to get it. It's going to be, it's, we've done it. Well, the world ignored it. It's a good thing that the person I bet everything I owned that that would happen didn't hold me to it. Uh, but the message was, again, if you know anything about crop circles, you know about this one, um, and I know you know about it, where um, the... It's a rectangular pattern, and it echoes something that we sent out into space when you translate binary code into something you draw um, uh, on paper or in wheat fields. Uh, 
and um, we sent it out as a commemorative, um, not expecting anything to happen. You know the way they, they bury time capsules that say all this little bits and pieces about life on Earth and maybe millions of years somebody will dig it up? Well, this was that same thing. It got sent into space as um, binary code radio waves. This was sent out from the Arecibo uh, yeah. space or uh, 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 telescope array into deep right. space, and this is this formation that Susanna is referring to is known as the Arecibo reply. Right, and Arecibo was, at that point, the reason they did it was because it was the world's largest radio telescope that had just been built, and Carl Sagan had a big hand in designing this message. How we'll encode a message that tells about life on Earth. It'll tell our table of elements, it'll say our planetary system, how many planets do we have, how big are we, what, you know, little facts about life on Earth is encoded in binary code that you can draw out. Um, and we send it out, and we never expected to get a response. In fact, it was going to be 200 and some odd years uh, before it ever would intersect any kind of planetary body. It was just floating out there in space. Um, and then all of a sudden, now that was 1976, it went out. In 2001, we get this uh, crop formation, and it's, I mean, there's just no mistake about it. It is, quote-unquote, the answer. It's exactly the same shape and size, and, but it has different information in it. And the information was that we, um, the we are carbon-based in our table of elements thing. Well, they're silicon-based. And our little, our creature, we are, however tall we are, 5'10", whatever, you know, little figure of what we look like. Well, the little figure of what they look like came back. They're short, and they have little um, fat round heads, like three feet tall. <laughs> they look like little grays that, you know, we speak about in our science fiction or whatever we speak about them. Uh, and And other, you know, aspects of whatever those things were that got sent out, it got sent back as if we're sending you what we look like, and they're sending us back what they look like, or what's going on in their world. Uh, there were three inhabited planets. Remember, that was another piece of it all. Well, this was so fascinating. And, you know, just the way they do binary codes, little squiggly things, you're on the ground, and you're going, what in the world could this be, little squiggly things? But when you get above it, the... Do you see that these are things that, you know, can then get translated uh, into information? So, I, you know, that has to be anybody's favorite. And, in fact, you might also point to the um, formation that was in the same field that came a week before. So they came one, two, three, the biggest one ever at Milk Hill, then the one I'm going to talk about now, and then a week later the message. And the one that came the week before the message um, – was um, something that, again, on the ground, you had no idea. There were dots, bigger dots, little dots. Well, what are dots? What do they use to make pictures out of dots? Newspapers. If you magnified a newspaper, it's dot matrix. It's all dots. Well, that was the design element, and you, you could not possibly tell uh, anything about it on the ground, but when you saw the aerial, it was space. And it's like the face on Mars, you know, that we typically... Uh, think it's the face on, on Mars, but it looks like a face. Whether, whether it is a face on Mars or not, it looks like a face. And that crop circle had exactly that look. So that was in a field where, you know, 10, 20 feet away, the message uh, appeared a week later. So that was quite a little season. That was the season that we shot the first film. I believe right across from that field as well was a, 
radio uh, observatory. Oh, exactly. That's another aspect, right. It landed right near the biggest radio telescope in England. Right, exactly. Just like Arecibo is the biggest one ever, and that's why they sent the uh, signal out, and it landed right near the one in England that is the biggest one in England. So, yeah. Yeah, and there were other correspondences as well. I mean, it was just so fascinating, you know. It's, it's not just like our pretty pictures. There's so much about them, and it's such a fascinating study. I'm so glad I know about these things. You know, it's so, it's so nice to know something hopeful, you know, that the world, if the world were tuning into this, things would change, you know. It's such a difficult world, and if you don't know anything hopeful, boy, it's a, it's a, it's a hard road to hoe. So I'm always very glad I know about these crop circles. Suzanne, I'd like to ask you if you've ever felt any energy in any part of the physiology upon visiting a crop circle or if you've ever experienced any other uh, bodily effects upon entering them. Well, you know, different people are different. I'm a very mental person. So that for me, it's always awe. It's always like, oh, how can this be? My mind just goes crazy. Other people are physically sensitive much more than I am, and there's all kinds of things they feel. Sometimes they can't even get into a formation. It's, the energy is so strong, it kind of repels them, and they, you know, and they don't. They don't get in. Sometimes people get in, and um, they have different kinds of physical reactions. Uh, they can just tingle all over. It can be like, you know, all, all energized and, you know, juicy and, you know, whatever that kind of feelings are, and sometimes they, 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 they feel ill, actually, and they have to leave. That, that it's not a good feeling. That That's not so frequent, but it does happen. People feel like, um, and, and, and sometimes formations will, it will be a similar feeling for different people. So this particular formation creates a kind of a negative effect in people, some particular formations. And uh, they feel ill and, you know, uncomfortable and what have you. Uh, but I can't attest to any of that personally. I'm just a, I'm just a mental kid who, uh, you know, just can't believe what, <laughs> what, what I'm experiencing. I've heard a lot of reports about uh, uh, electronics or other pieces of technology malfunctioning upon crossing the line into a crop circle formation. Have you ever experienced that? Well, uh, that is fairly common, although not certainly common like everyday common, but very common in terms of it's not so unusual either. And in fact, we, in the movie, we actually have people telling you stories about that, several of them. Um, frequently, people's uh, batteries will drain, fresh batteries in their cameras or what have you. Uh, very, 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 I don't want to say very, very, but it is, you know, not, not so uncommon that that would happen. Um, cell phones won't work inside the formation, yet you hold your cell phone out over the standing crop right at the edge, it'll work. Um, uh, cameras, uh, we, we tell you one story in there about a camera crew from a television station that uh, came and they got back, this is when they were using film, and they got back to um, the station and there was nothing on the film, just white light. Uh, these electromagnetic disturbances are not infrequent. You know, they're not every day, but, and again, when something like that happens, you know you're in the real view. You know, that doesn't happen in a hoax formation. Suzanne, we have another caller on the line. Would you like to take one more call? Love it, love it. Great, here we go. Okay, caller from Texas, you're on What on Earth is Happening? Do you have a question for Suzanne? Ah, good evening. This is Keeper. 
I do have a question. Um, I've been following okay. the crop circle phenomena for quite some time, and I have, I have questions that I've not been able to answer. And uh, if this truly is a, a kind of communication with everybody, why are they in such hard-to-reach places? You know, it seems that they're far away. If they're trying to communicate, make it out in the, ob- out in the open and obvious. Caller, you are breaking up a little bit. I'll repeat the question for Suzanne. I think why I heard properly. Such, I heard, why are they in such hard-to-reach places, and then I couldn't hear the rest. So okay. what did he say after that? Uh, that? That's pretty much what I made out of it as well. It was kind of garbled there near the end. Well, they, I mean, they aren't in such hard. In fact, one of the things we think about, like, why England, why are they in this particular area? And, you know, you speculate why. One of the things is it's full of sacred sites. And another um conceivably is because it's near a major city, so that if, in fact, it ever really, first of all, the researchers can get there, you know, um, to study it, and that if ever really uh, the the lid blew off and we really accepted the fact that something unusual was going on, that it would be easy to get to. Um, And um, in terms of where they land, uh, they're frequently right by major roads. They're frequently, you know, very easy to get into. And sometimes you have to hike, you know, into the uh, into the field. Sometimes it's half hour to walk or even more. And I don't know what can we say about that. That's just the way it is. I, I don't know what you could what conclusion you could draw from that. I have um, also seen some research that the reason there are such high concentrations in the area of southern England is because that there is a major uh, underground aquifer system uh, that that creates an ionization as the the uh, Aquifer water uh, percolates through the the basic chalk that is the uh, the, the 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 ground um, uh, what the ground actually is made of in that area of southern England. Uh, have you heard anything uh, regarding that? Uh, oh no, you're abs- no, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And in fact, that may be what's going on. Uh, that's a great conductor of electromagnetism. This uh, uh, water and uh, limestone uh, that chalk, you know, that's right underneath the the surface there. And it is along that depth where that aquifer exists that you get a high concentration of the circles, and that may be related to these failures of electromagnetic equipment. Indeed, that's another thing. You know, you got all your little uh, aspects, and that is indeed one of them. Definitely, definitely. The one that I uh, entered in Lawrenceville back in 1997, which the laboratory analysis is is uh, there on. I don't have pictures. Uh, available on the site of of me actually in them, but those pictures do exist. Um, it was right by a major road. There were power lines along the road. Uh, it, again, was in an organic oat field, and uh, me and two friends went into the field and uh, took some shots. And then after we left the field, uh, very strange, first time I'm talking talking about it like publicly pretty much, uh, we all experienced a dull ache in the same part of the body after leaving the formation. And it happened simultaneously. It came on simultaneously in all three of us and then dissipated slowly over time in all three of us and pretty much was gone at the same time as well. It was one of the strangest things I've ever experienced, and it really you know, made me think and ponder you know, what could possibly do that to three different people all at the same time. Uh, oh, it wasn't it wasn't highly unpleasant, but it was uh, very just so strange that uh, we were completely freaked out. 
Well, that, that, that's a new one on me, but isn't it interesting, you know, that things in a synchronous experience like that points to something. Who knows what, but, you know, it points to something going on, that, you know, this isn't just this and that. There's something something happening, you know. So that's a new one for putting my uh, repertoire of awareness. So uh, I want to ask you, other than yourself, could you uh, maybe point the listeners to some resources, like maybe authors or books or uh, films, et cetera, that you could recommend to people who want to do further research on this phenomenon on their own? Absolutely. Well, the, what I mentioned before, the season's about to start. Uh, occasionally there's a formation in England. This is the concentration. Um, occasionally there's an April formation. Usually they're not very good. Um, May, uh, there'll be a little smatter, usually not all that good, but sometimes lately there have been. Uh, June is the, it really starts to pick up, and uh, July is the big month, and then it tapers off in uh, August, depending on how hot the summer is when the harvest is. But the thing you want to pay attention to is CropCircleConnector.com. That is the site. That is the one that uh, all the pictures will be on. Each each formation will get a page, and um, you absolutely want to um, check in with them. You can get on their mailing list. I don't know if you have to subscribe to get on their mailing list, but it's inexpensive. It's like 30 or $40 for a year. And uh, if you're in England, that's the way you get your GPS coordinates also. But uh, the, um, the, you, you'll get an email every time there's a new one, and you can click onto the page. So I highly recommend that. Um, the book that I like the best, uh, in fact, if you get on the conversation.org, which is my blog, and I really um, – urge people to get on my mailing list. I send out the most interesting things. You can always unsubscribe. I don't send out much, but people love being on my mailing list. I, I send out things that you won't likely find in other places. I never send out things that are circulating on the web popularly, but I find, I don't know, I just have a, a nose for what's fascinating. And, um, and then I write about why you should pay attention to it. So you, I'm kind of drawing you into this other perspective, this more interesting perspective. But if you get on my website, you'll find um, on, on theconversation.org, you can link to the book I like the best. Uh, it's the newest book. It's Michael Glickman, who is in my movie and is one of the grand daddies of research. He was a USC architecture professor, University of Southern California architecture professor, who got hooked by the circles, and he stopped being an arch architecture professor, and he became a circle guy. He's a great geometer. And uh, he wrote a book called Crop Circles, The Bones of God. And it's the only book of its kind. It's where when you read the book, first of all, he's a wonderful writer. He's got a good sense of humor, and he writes beautifully. And when you read the book, he's taking you into his discoveries. What did he find out? How did he learn? What impressed him? As opposed to an objective sort of history of the crop circles. Um, the... Um, uh, so that, that would be the book that I would highly recommend. You can get it from, uh, from my website. Um, as far as movies go, well, uh, God knows mine. You know, CropCircleMovie.com will get you to what on earth. I couldn't recommend any more than that. But there's also an earlier film that I mentioned, which I'm the executive producer of, and they, it makes a good pair with my movie. It's called um, uh, Crop Circle's Quest for Truth. And if you, you you won't see it advertised on this is a little bit humorous. Um, if you if you if you buy my movie and it's um, you get a lot of free gifts. We give you a lot of inducements on CropCircleMovie.com as well as showing you the trailer. But if you buy my movie, 
on the shopping page, you'll see um, you will also be able, at a ridiculously low price, I think it's $12 or something like that, be able to buy the first movie. And as my marketing director said, it's, do you want fries with that? <laughs> so you buy the hamburger, which is my movie, and then do you want fries, which is the other movie. Uh, and uh, it's just a very inexpensive little package. And they make a good pair because the first movie is the history of the crop circles, more, more or less. And mine is the passion of the researchers. Why do people give up their lives for this? And um, they have a little different tone to them. But it was after the first movie was finished that I thought, no, there's another movie here. And uh, that's why I embarked on, on making mine. Uh, so those are the ones that I would recommend the most. And uh, I don't know that there's an, another Crop Circle book. There's a wonderful course online that I like to recommend. But um, I don't know how you would find it. Uh, it's, it the, the book that it's derived from is Crop Circles, The Hidden Truth. If you Google that, I think it would lead you to this website where a math guy a teacher of math, designed a geometry course. Um, if anybody learned geometry through this course, which is all based on the circles, they would have such a good time. But you don't even have to be a mathematically inclined person or want to learn geometry to see, because he's got it very beautifully illustrated, and it comes from his book, um, to see the fascinating ways that the circle makers have played with, with mathematical ideas but they're very translated, you know, so, so that, as I say, you don't have to be a mathematician to see, whoa, look at what they've done um, with, 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 with geometry uh, in, in the fascination of the design and expressing many mathematical ideas with funny names that I'd never heard before except I, when I learned this, got into this material. Oh, look, there's this principle and that principle and this idea and this rule and this whatever. And look, the crop circles are expressing them. So I, I like that a lot, too. Uh, crop Circles, The Hidden Truths will, will get you to that site. Fantastic. I think that um, Crop Circle Connector is just a magnificent resource yes. on the web. People should definitely Absolutely. check that site out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like the book Secrets in the Fields. It's an excellent uh, uh, synthesis of the entire phenomenon, which is uh, some great uh, commentary and some great uh, photos of the phenomenon through time. Uh, Secrets in the Fields, I believe that was by Fred, Freddie Silva. So that's I'm not a fan, so you got me on this radio program, and I just wanted to tell you that he's very charming and he's very glib, but hes um, I, I don't really appreciate him because he pretends to know things he doesn't know. Oh, this means that, and this means the other. I don't really care. He conjecture, conjectures a bit, you think? Well, no, he declares like he's the great expert that understands things that nobody understands, hmm. and he also plagiarizes. A lot of his material just takes full cloth from somebody else, and he punks it in his book and he doesn't give credit, and he, you will never find him invited to be a speaker on any Crop Circle conference. Uh, be because crop, of those reasons, huh? Yeah, the Crop Circle community does not uh, appreciate him very much, so I must say that when you recommend his book. I, I would not recommend that book. Okay. But the truth is, you know, he was running a website that had a lot of good factual information on it. It did. And that was the kind of before he became the great expert. Yeah, that was the impression I got from the book because it, it had a lot of data in it, but uh, I yeah. wasn't aware of any of any of that beforehand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what we have two minutes left. Final question: What do you think for the listeners here is the most important idea to take away from the entire mystery of the crop circle phenomenon? 
oh, just keep your mind open. Don't believe, you know, any bill of goods that you've been sold. And be curious, you know. Um, be open, be, be wondering, be paying attention. And I think the phenomenon doesn't land on the White House lawn and hit us over the head because that wouldn't be a sort of enlightened way to do it. I think it gives us the kind of tidbits with which if we pay attention, we will have a realization. And the realization, then, we will own that. It will be our work that has produced that realization, which is a much healthier way for reality to change, you know. Otherwise, we're back in warlikeness and opposition. But when you keep your mind open and you do pay attention, you can't help but be impressed by something beyond the beyond. And then you really have expanded. You've expanded yourself, which is really quite the most appropriate way uh, to proceed in life, you know, let alone in uh, crop circle investigation. Fantastic, and that's what it's all ultimately about. Suzanne, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, tell, tell listeners your websites one more time. Well, CropCircleMovie.com, you see the trailer, and uh, you can buy the um, DVD, and you can sign up for my mailing list also, which gets you to theconversation.org, which is my blog where I post all these fascinating things about consciousness and how, in fact, the crop circles could impact that. Fantastic. Suzanne, thanks again, and thank you, everyone, for listening. That's all we have time for tonight, folks, but I'll be back here uh, next Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to What on Earth is Happening, my website, whatonearthishappening.com. Thank you very much for listening. Good night, folks.